Well, I don't know of a better way to start a worship service than seeing someone dedicate themselves to God. We appreciate that. Appreciate that. This morning we talked about being able to recognize the difference between good and bad, and I think we saw that tonight. The difference between good and bad. We saw something that was wonderful. And since we were talking about that this morning, this evening I want us to continue in that direction. Now this morning we talked about some things that were bad and we used the passage that King Solomon had written found in Proverbs chapter 6. But tonight I want us to focus on the good. We talked about the bad. I want us to focus on the good. The Christian life is like any other aspect in life, it has to be a balanced life, doesn't it? Every aspect of our lives need to be balanced, and we can't focus simply on the things that we don't want to do. Uh, we have to focus on the things that we do want to do. We have to look at the, the good things that God has provided for us and asked us to do, and we need to work on making those a priority in our lives. We're going to begin tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, very well known chapter often referred to as the chapter of love. And tonight, we want to look at what Paul had to say about love. Paul spent some time directing his readers in how to gain and how to maintain the proper form of love. Uh, the world doesn't understand love like God understands love. And in fact, Paul went beyond what most people in the world in general understand about love. He demonstrated that love was something that is shown or something that is given through action. We see action in people and their action demonstrates love. We see our love toward God demonstrated in action, right? It's not just the fact that we might say, I love God. It's our demonstration of what we do to show that we love God. But that's not so different than what we do in our everyday lives, is it? We show the people who we love that we love them. Now, some of us may be guilty of not stating those words as often as we ought to, and we need to work on that. But we need to be able to demonstrate through our actions that we love. Paul defined love by what it did and what it didn't do. And nowhere in the text can we understand that this word love is anything other than an action verb. In the whole of this text, when love is mentioned, it's mentioned in the process of doing something. Now, it may say it in the, uh, from the negative point of view, love doesn't do this, but if love doesn't do that, then it's doing something else, right? And so we understand it to be an action verb. So like this morning, we want to be able to identify love. We want to be able to look at our actions, and we want to be able to locate love. We want to be able to understand about love because that is uh, the thing which is most important. So as we allow the great apostle to teach us about that which abides forever. And that's the title of the sermon tonight. That which abides forever. We're going to notice first in his writing that Paul makes the case for love. He puts forth the idea of Love. And he does it in a very 
particular way, a very peculiar way as compared to what the world would think. As Paul presented his case, he showed that love was the better practice. Now let's keep in mind that this letter was written to the church in Corinth and they had some issues going on in Corinth. They had some problems. They had some people who uh, thought a little more highly of themselves than they ought to. They had some some members there who had the gift of speaking in tongues, the gift of being able to speak a foreign language without having studied that language, a miraculous gift given to them. Those things were necessary at the beginning of the establishment of the church. But because they had this particular gift, they felt that they were just a little bit superior in their Christianity as opposed to those members who did not have that gift. But Paul told them, as we begin to read the letter in general, he told them that that particular gift was in fact the least of the gifts. He said he would a whole lot rather them have the gift of prophecy. The, the gift of tongues was the least of the gifts. But because speaking in tongues was easily identified as someone who had a miraculous gift and Obviously, the people understood that brother so-and-so never studied a particular language and he didn't know a particular language, but now he's speaking that language. They could identify very quickly, oh, he has a miraculous gift, and therefore he thought a little highly of himself. But what Paul wanted them to do, he wanted them to desire the greater gifts. Now, someone says, Well, he told them that the greater gift was prophecy or wisdom or something like that, And but is that really the greater gift? Well, we can have the greater gift today. It's not a miraculous gift. He wanted them to desire to have the proper kind of love. But before they could even have that idea of wanting it, they had to be transformed. They had to change their way of thinking, right? Their their presentation was something, or rather their practice, was that they wanted to demonstrate some kind of a, a, a gift they had that someone else didn't have, when all along the greatest gift was something that all can possess. But before they could even come to the point of understanding that's what they needed to desire, they had to be transformed. He made that same point to those in Rome. The particular circumstances were just a little bit different. But he still made that same point. Notice Romans 12, verse 2. He commanded, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What was different about the Christians in Corinth? Those who had the gift of, of uh, speaking in foreign languages, though they had never studied them, and the people of the world, the pagans of the world, the heathens, who lived in Corinth, what was different? Well, the answer is nothing was different, right? They had the same mindset. They they were being conformed to the world. What about uh, people in other parts of the world during this time? What about Simon the sorcerer? How was he different before he obeyed the gospel than what they were while they had become Christian? And we see after Simon had obeyed the gospel in Acts chapter 8, he kind of went back to it, didn't he? They wanted something that they could demonstrate or present or practice in front of someone. See, they needed to be transformed. To be transformed is to love one's self enough to love those around, right? 
It's in our best interest as individuals to love those around us and to practice love. And that's why Paul said it was it was the better practice to uh, be able to do that. Now, I'm not a, a bit surprised, and I fully believe that when Paul made that statement, he must have grabbed their attention. The better gifts, well, they wanted something that was showy. See, their mind wasn't thinking that way. To them, the better gift wasn't love. To them, the better gift was to be able to practice something to demonstrate their superiority. But Paul said, wait a minute. Wait just a second. You're misunderstanding the whole idea of Christianity. Love is the epitome of Christianity. Isn't love on what Christianity is built? What was the whole point of Christ coming to the earth? Because of His love for His creation. He came to seek and save that which was lost. Do we spend a lot of time in this world, we lose something, and, and it's for the most part kind of meaningless to us. We, we just think, well, I'll just go pick up another one or whatever. I can get it pretty cheaply. Do, do we love that item or do we respect that item or do we hold that item dear to us when we feel that way? Well, no, it's just a throwaway, right? We'll throw it away if, we, if it tears up or if we lose it. I'll get another one that looks just like it. But see, not so with Christianity. He came to seek that which was lost. We meant so much to Him that He wanted to bring us out of our lostness into His home that He was preparing for us. We need to pay close attention to that detail in our own lives, right? Love is that on which the rest of Christianity is built. Oh, when we think of doctrine and worship, that is a must. Those things are musts, right? But even when we practice those things, they must be practiced in love. We practice the doctrine of Christ in love, right? Uh, help those in the world, Galatians chapter 6. Help those when you have an opportunity, thus fulfilling the law of Christ. Why would we help someone based in our love, right? When we worship, it has to be practiced in love. You know, the Corinthians were not practicing what Christ taught, Matthew 5, 23 through 24. Paul insisted to them, and he's trying to teach them in this letter that love is the better practice, but it was also the better presentation. Notice verses 1 and 2 of our chapter. He said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Love is the better presentation, no doubt about it. But why? Let's try to understand why is it the better presentation. Well, when we look at the people who were reading this letter originally, they had an ego problem. They thought more of themselves than what they should have. They wanted to feel important as opposed to feeling for the lost souls of men and women. They didn't have that presentation of love to the world, right? They had their focus in all the wrong places. They weren't focused on godliness. They were focused on selfishness, weren't they? The world looks at the Christian lifestyle. And they look at our view of love and they think that's odd. How can you have a 
have an idea that that's what love is. What does the world say love is? Well, if you just let someone do whatever they want to, right? If you truly love someone, you'll if they want to want to be a homosexual, well, that's their alternative lifestyle. Let's support them in that. That's what the world says love is. Well, that's not the way God says love. God's view of love and the world's view of love are very different things, right? Uh, love doesn't always act the way we expect it to act, does, does it? Love doesn't always behave the same way in every single circumstance. That doesn't mean it's not love. That doesn't mean that the person doing it is not loving someone, but love is... is uh, not always what it seems to be to the outside, to those in the world. For instance, a child does something, and a parent reacts in love, talks with the child, tries to train the child, encourages the child, and that's love. And I think the world would agree with that, right? Well, what happens when a child, the same child, does something very similar after the parent had talked with the child and encouraged the child? showing love for the child, and in the same vein of loving that child, they do that again, but this time they add to that discipline. See, you're, you're still showing love for the child, but the two situations, though very similar, call for different action, right? And so love doesn't always look the same. Love doesn't always do what we expect it to do or what the world expects it to do but the mom or the dad or the guardian or the aunt or the uncle or the grandparent or whatever the case may be in both cases are still exhibiting love right it's a different kind of love it's still love paul made the case for love he said it's the better practice it's the better presentation present love don't present yourself and as being selfish and, and wanting the accolades and people to think more highly of you than what you ought to. He said it, love, and he made the case for it. But before one can fully understand about that which abides forever, we must be familiar with the characteristics of that thing, right? We need to understand the characteristics of love, and they're identifiable. We identified some things this morning that we want to avoid. Well, let's identify some things tonight that we want to pursue. First of all, as we look at the characteristics of love, and this is our second point, love has patient characteristics. In fact, Paul says love is patient. It's always long-suffering in respect to people, right? Uh, that is what allows a person to love the unlovable. It allows us to look past the act and still love the person. Now, we're not talking about this brotherly kinship kind of love that, that Christians have for each other in addition to the highest form of love. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the highest form of love, and that's the word used throughout this text. We're going to do what's best for that person, whether I have a brotherly feeling of kinship to them or not. And it is that love that allows us to say, I choose to love that person anyway. Doesn't mean I endorse their actions. Doesn't mean I'm going to enable them. Doesn't mean I'm going to 
help them in pursuing sinful things, but I still love that person and I choose to do for them that which is good for them, right? So love is patient. God says that kind of patient love is also kind. The world says, well, that's not kind, that's ugly. You're not treating that person right. Now this idea of kind means it's not harsh, right? It's not harsh in nature. What does the world want to do? Someone's down and out and they want to kick them while they're down. It's easy to kick someone while they're down. But what does God want us to do? God wants us to demonstrate a sweet kindness for one another and to help that individual come to be a better person and be in a better situation. Now, how do we do that sometimes? Sometimes we have to allow that person to be in the situation in which they've created for themselves, right? But that doesn't mean we talk ugly to them. That doesn't mean that, that we want to make it worse for them. It simply means we're going to be kind. And if we can have interaction with that individual, it'll be kind interaction. Now, we may not have to be able to have a lot of interaction, right? But we will do what is best for that individual. Now, that kind of love happens when a person's patience is developed over the period of time that we come into maturity as Christians, right? Have you ever thought about why love is patient? Well, when we look in James chapter 1, read verse 3, it demonstrates and, and speaks to us on how we gain or how we learn to be patient, right? And exactly how is that? Well, according to James, it's enduring trials and tribulation, isn't it? So, what does that have to do with my love being patient? Isn't it easier to, to show patience to someone when you can kind of understand where they're coming from? You have endured those trials and those tribulations. Have you ever noticed that uh, when we get older, we usually, normally become a little more patient? Why? Well, we've experienced a whole lot of those things, right? And we can identify. Our, heart kind, our hearts kind of go out to the individual, don't they? We can look back and say, I can remember being flat broke when I was first married. I, I have uh, a feeling for that individual where I can identify with that. Or I can identify with someone who's going through a difficult time and maybe their uh, bedside manner isn't exactly what it ought to be or what we're used to it being, right? And then you look back and you say, well, I know how that is. I went through a very similar thing and I know that, that my actions or my reactions to people weren't exactly what I would have liked for that to have been, but I was under this stress and I didn't maybe even realize what was going on. And so as a mature Christian, we look at that and we see that our, our love is patient. Our love is kind, right? And that develops. Now, uh, we don't need to confuse that again with just overlooking something, right? But that is a patient love. And because our love is patient, because it is kind, that means also our love will not envy. It's not filled with jealousy, right? We can understand that when something good happens to someone, we've been there, we look back over that, and we rejoice with them. We're happy for that person. True love is always happy when others are happy, right? That's what true love does. It is never upset when someone gains something. We want them to gain something, Romans 12, verse 15. That patient love, that kind love, 
that love that isn't jealous, that same love does not vaunt itself. It's not a braggart. It's not puffed up. It, it doesn't think more highly of itself than it ought to. Why do you think Paul mentioned those descriptive terms? That's what was going on in Corinth, wasn't it? That's what was going on in Corinth. That means that the one who truly loves doesn't behave like the Corinthian Christians behave. Now, to their credit, after that first letter, they made some changes in their lives, didn't they? They, they understood what true love was, and they began to live that way. Now, those are the patient characteristics of love, but love also has some purposeful or has purpose in its characteristics. Love does not act unseemly, right? Now, Paul is talking about the negative here, but he is talking about the opposite of that, really. Love doesn't act unseemly. Well, what, how does love act? Well, love doesn't participate in rude behavior, right? It doesn't participate in hurtful behavior. So therefore, if it's not unseemly, love is pleasant. Love is kind. Love is courteous, right? That's how love uh, operates. And that speaks to our outward behavior, doesn't it? The way we interact with people around us. Love isn't going to ask someone to do something that is degrading to them. Love isn't going to unjustly criticize someone. Love isn't intentionally going to embarrass someone. And again, we're not talking about uh, uh, the, the fun that we have with each other because we love one another. But there's always a line, and we understand where that line is, right? We understand that. Uh, we don't want to take the fun out of our lives, and we can joke, and, and we can love each other and have fun together. But we're talking about a meanness of spirit that love does not have. We can joke with each other and at the same time do anything within our power to help our brother or our sister. And we know we would do that. Love doesn't seek her own. She's not selfish. In fact, she is selfless. In the same manner that love is not jealous, we simply love without expecting something in return. Isn't that one of the most beautiful things about love? You know, we have so many wonderful people. And we are so fortunate here at White Oak to have the kind of people that we have. And, and actually, we've got a, a whole membership of doers, don't we? But you know what kind of a problem that causes? Everyone wants to be a doer and no one wants to allow someone to do for them. Now, that can be an issue, can it? You know, you, and, and I don't mean to embarrass anybody, but, you know, you, you talk with Sandra and, well, just forget it. You have a hard time. She's so hard to deal with sometimes. You can't do things for her very often. Miss Joanne, Sister Ann, right? They are doers. They help people. I talk with Sister Nell and I want to go help her do something. And, you know, I have to debate with her for an hour on the phone, you know, uh, because they're doers. They're used to helping other people, you know. Uh, forget asking Ron and Mary if you can bring them some supper. It's just not going to happen, right? Sometimes you just got to show up with it. And that's what we have to do, right? But we understand that. See, we do things, and, and it's a joy for us to do things, and true love doesn't expect a thing in return. You know what the reward is for loving someone and doing something for someone? Loving someone and being able to do something for them. I've said for years, and I've talked with my wife about it, and... and it, you know, 
we don't just ask the first person that comes along to help us with things, do we? We're not going to go flag someone down on the street and say, hey, can you do this for me? Who do we ask for help? Who do we ask people to help us? The ones we love, right? And so the people we love want to help us. The people we love, we want to help them, right? And that's what true love is. It's doing something without expecting something in return. Since love isn't selfish, it is also not easily angered, right? That kind of goes back to our our uh, love that is patient because we've matured into Christianity. Now, here's the thing. That doesn't say love cannot be angered. Love better be angry about certain things, right? But we must not be angry and sin, Ephesians 4, 26. Here's something else love does not do as, as it is purposeful. It does not dwell or think on evil things, right? Well, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't keep a laundry list of, of hurtful things that have happened. It doesn't uh, harbor memories of past grievances. It isn't ready to believe something terrible about someone that we love or that we know. And it, in essence, we're not keeping score, right? Sometimes we just have to understand that we're people. And sometimes we, we might not uh, answer a certain thing in the proper way. We might be rude without meaning to be. And we may not even realize it. And I'm not saying we overlook that. We need to be very careful about our interactions with each other. But you know, sometimes we need to have the benefit of the doubt. Right? We need to have benefit of the doubt. And love does not dwell on those things. The characteristics of love can also be identified in its priorities. There are certain priorities that Love has. It never rejoices in iniquity. It's never happy when people do wrong. Love is never happy when someone gets what they've got coming to them. That doesn't make us happy. It shouldn't, right? Uh, Notice verse number 7. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Now that is an everlasting love. That is a tough love, isn't it? You have to be tough to have that kind of love. But that's the kind of love God wants us to have. We never get to the point where we say, I'm just done, I I can't go any further, I'm not going to love that person anymore. Now we might get to the point where we say, I can't have an interaction with that individual anymore until their behavior changes, but I'm still going to love them. And I'm going to work hard at that. The word bear here, comes from the word that literally means a roof or a covering. You know what love does? Love never overlooks sin, but love will hide a multitude of sin because the person will go to an individual in love and talk to them about whatever it is they need to talk about, and love will not overlook sin. But here's something love will never do. Love doesn't go and tell everyone else about that sin either. Love is just not going to do that. And so we want to look for that. And we want to be able to be that kind of love. Love believes all things. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean we're gullible. Love believes in people. Love believes in the brethren. Love believes and looks for the good. Love has hope in all things. We look for the bright side of things. We look for the good in people. We want to be able to 
to help those that we can help. We're not going to despair all the time about things we cannot change. Notice what David said, Psalm 23. Very well-known passage. David said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David wrote that psalm when he was fleeing for his life from his own son. If anyone had a reason to be depressed and and low and at a point in life where they really wanted to give up, but he didn't, he had hope. Because love has hope for good things. Love believes in people. Love endures all things. I think maybe David is the poster child for that, right? It perseveres. It never... Love doesn't quit. Love does not quit. Again, that doesn't mean that circumstances don't change. We might have, we might have to extract ourselves from a situation, but love never stops loving. Love always looks onto the brighter side. Love is always praying for people. Love wants them to do better so we can reinstate a relationship if we've had to end it, right? Love is a verb, not just a noun. When God loved the world, He did something, didn't He? Very well-known verse. Almost everyone can recite it. John 3.16 Paul made the case for love. He identified the characteristics of love. And finally, he demonstrated how love would continue. That's our third and final point. That means love is permanent, right? Love's not going to stop. Love is never going to stop. How do we know that? God is love, right? We love God because He first loved us. Paul told the Corinthians that the spiritual gifts would fade away. They were going to leave them. It was going to come a time. And it wasn't too far into the, into the future, about less than 30 years, that they, there wouldn't be any gifts. And though they were very necessary in the beginning, and we see it here that they were very necessary, still, what was the most important thing? Love. Because based on love, you were able to do the gifts because you had the right mindset, right? And that was a lesson that Jonah needed to learn, wasn't it? God sent him to an unlovable people to love them. It was just as much of a test for Jonah as it was for the people of Nineveh. God said, Jonah, go love those people. Jonah didn't want to love those people. And I can understand where he's coming from. You look at the history of of how Nineveh had treated the Israelites and the cruelty. I can understand where Jonah's coming from. But you know, love doesn't keep score. Jonah had to understand that. He needed that test. He had to learn to choose love, whether he liked the person or not. That's the thing about love. If we will take the emotion away from having hurt feelings and and whatever the case may be, and we look at a situation, or we take away the the repulsiveness of the actions of someone. You know, we look in the news today and you have uh, radicals all over the world trying to kill people and are killing people, and we look at that and we're just repulsed. We look at the sins that are going on in this country 
uh, just our country, abortion, homosexuality, uh, all of those kinds of things, and it's repulsive to us, and it's hard to, to consider and think, boy, I love that individual. See, we're looking at love all wrong. We're, we're confusing loves, right? There, there are four different kinds of loves, three specifically mentioned in the Bible. You have that phileo love, that's brotherly love. You have stergo love, that's love for family members. And you have this agape love we're talking about. That's how we love those people. How do you love someone who hates you? Well, we're not going to go to lunch with them probably, right? We're not going to invite them over to our houses or our homes for holidays, but we can still love them and do what's best for them, right? And then it becomes a little more palatable. Now we understand I don't think Jesus enjoyed the company of the Roman soldiers. I don't believe that Jesus enjoyed the company of the Jewish leaders. They murdered Him. But He loved them nonetheless. And He did what was best for them. He gave His life so that they could have life. Jonah had to understand that. The Christian continues in love because it is permanent and also because it is perfect. Paul said this, verse 13, And now abideth faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Faith and hope are not going to last. When this world comes to an end, that's when faith and hope is going to come to an end. Because those who are saved will be ushered into heaven and will be in the presence of God. Those who are not saved are going to be ushered into hell and they're going to realize... That God is real. Faith was real. Hope was real. But now it's no longer available. Hope is not a leap in the dark. It's the reasonable expectation of receiving something. But it's not going to last. When we receive it, it goes away, right? Love is perfect because of all the things that it does. That which abides forever. It thinks of others when it's a lot easier to think of myself, right? It performs godly acts of kindness when we really would rather not. And it is perfect because we choose to do it intellectually. Love is that which abides forever. When properly defined and understood in the way that that God wants us to understand it, love is the way of Christ, isn't it? That's what love is. It's easy to see the character of Christ in every single aspect of that which abides forever. And fortunately for us, Paul has left for us the means by which we can can measure ourselves and determine if we are properly doing what God wants and if we properly love God and those around us. Very simple. Now, we're not always going to measure up but we always can be improving. And that's what God expects, right? As we improve our commitment to love, it gets greater and greater and greater. It is that which abides forever. That commitment begins with committing ourselves to Christ. We saw Sister Susan do that a few moments ago. She understood that Christ is exactly who she said He was, who, who He said He was. She made that statement in her confession that she believed Jesus Christ was the Son of God. She had repented of past sins. She made that confession. She was immersed in water. Her sins were washed away. And now 
she's going to continue to mature in her Christian faith and practice that which abides forever. That's how you become a Christian. Very simple, isn't it? Well, it's just as simple to come back to God if we've left Him for whatever reason. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation tonight, if you need to repent, have the prayers of the church, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.